Have you ever been anywhere that experienced a large-scale blackout? The worst blackout I've ever been a part of was a week-long one living in Providence following Hurricane Irene in 2011. It was pretty crazy, but we could just go to cafes and other public places to charge electronics, communicate with people and such. Nothing like what's going on in Puerto Rico. Yeah, short-scale outages are fun for a little. You get to light some candles, play some cards, and actually talk to people without devices for a few hours. But for days or even weeks, I think I'll pass. Totally. Even that week without power in Providence was too much, but hearing from friends who experienced Sandy, it sounds like that outage was downright scary. Right. These scenarios are so big and are such big jobs to repair. I wonder what goes into fixing a large-scale blackout. Hello and welcome back to Behind the Switch. Today we're looking into large-scale power outages, what causes them, what the consequences of them are, and what goes into bringing power back online for sometimes millions of people. Climate change is bringing about more powerful storms with increasing frequency, and our electrical grids are feeling the pain. Just this year, the greater Houston area experienced widespread outages from record flooding after Hurricane Harvey came through. And on Puerto Rico, most residents are still without power months after Hurricane Maria devastated the island's already vulnerable electricity infrastructure. Two months after Maria made landfall, 50% of the generation is back online, but nearly four out of five Puerto Ricans were still without power. Outages like the one in Puerto Rico leave millions without the basic resources we all take for granted. Water, lighting, and especially emergency medical equipment. For those impacted by such outages for prolonged periods, the fallout is very, very serious. When Mother Nature devastates the grid for millions of people, what needs to happen? Which organizations jump into action, and how is federal aid distributed? When the entirety of a city's, state's, or island's electrical infrastructure is taken offline, where do you even begin? Max Chang is a principal associate at Synapse Energy Economics with plenty of know-how when it comes to large-scale outages. We sat down with Max to get some answers to these important questions. So Max... At what point is an outage no longer minor and local, but a major outage? Um, it depends on, obviously it depends on the situation, but, and it also depends on the state and circumstances. So most states have regulations sort of classifying different outages as either um, sort of just typical blue sky outages or major outages. And when there is a major outage, uh, depending on the state, what qualifies as a major outage is if there's a state declaration of an emergency, if some percentage of a utility's customers are out, or if there are actually instances where um, a utility within the state sends its crews to help another state, then the outages that occur in that service territory are considered major, major outages. And then obviously you have regional outages. So uh, I think in the case of Hurricane Sandy, uh, which hit sort of primarily New Jersey and New York in 2012, uh, you had a storm that sort of came ashore in Atlantic City and just sort of went up the coast and sort of really impacted uh, New York Harbor. Um, in that case, you had outages across New Jersey. Um, I think at some point, PSENG, the largest utility in New Jersey, um, had, I 
I need to check the numbers, but something like 90% of its customers were out at one point. Um, and some of those customers didn't uh, get their power back for weeks. So, uh, and even though they knew that the storm was coming, um, a, lot of, a lot of times what utilities will do is when they know a storm is coming, depending on the forecast, they will sort of activate what's called sort of mutual assistance agreements. And mutual assistance agreements are basically um, utilities going to other utilities saying, we think we're, we're gonna have a storm, we need you to send crews to help our crews. And pretty much all the, all, I, I think all the utilities participate this, both private and uh, sort of investor owned utilities and sort of uh, municipals and cooperatives. Cooperatives have their own sort of program, but the investor-owned utilities sort of have these mutual uh, assistance agreements that they can call upon. And Sandy, crews were coming as far away as Texas, maybe in California, to help out. And likewise, when uh, the hurricanes that hit Florida and Texas this year Crews from Massachusetts and New Jersey were called upon. So uh, there is a, um, a sort of level of shared resources and shared interest among the utilities to help each other out under these circumstances. In a scenario where there's no power for weeks at a time, how do residents cope? Personally, having never uh, had the... Uh, I've been fortunate enough never to have gone through that experience, but my understanding is that it's, the response is different from different people. Some people um, go away ahead of the storm and sort of ride it out. Some people sort of, um, I've heard stories of people like one member of the family staying at the house and sort of waiting for power to come back on. Um, I've heard stories of entire families leaving for sort of weeks on end mm. and then coming back. So I, I think there's a range of individual responses based on uh, individual circumstances. Who ends up paying for the repairs made after a major outage? Um, from the Speaking from the electric utility perspective, um, most of the stuff that I've seen, uh, eventually ratepayers will pay for that. Um, I have not, I don't think in New Jersey there were any sort of insurance reimbursements um, that the utilities sort of received that I'm aware of. Um, but yeah, most of that, all that from what I've seen has sort of come out of ratepayers. How are repairs prioritized? I think it depends on. Um, how many crews the utility has on hand and the number of I mean, the it's a real it's it's amazing to hear how utilities respond with uh, these situations they have they have crews from their own crews they have crews from other utilities they have um, sort of they have a list of where they know the outages or where they think they know the outages. And so what times you'll, times you'll see is um, a utility may identify one particular area and then send 
multiple crews out to that area and they'll just repair things as whatever they see they'll just repair mm. um there are times where utilities will have to prioritize like you know hospitals police stations fire stations uh critical infrastructure so it it depends and then it also depends on the nature of the outage if uh if it's a case of down poles you could have send a line crew to replace the poles and replace the wires but in the case of Sandy, where you had something like 28 substations that were flooded, you can't really replace the poles or the poles weren't damaged. You have to sort of rehabilitate or literally dry out these flooded substations. So it took longer, obviously. It depends on the complexity and the nature of the outage itself. Large-scale power outages can be complicated. Fixing them depends on the nature of what caused the damage, the resources and crews available for repairs, the geographical location of the damage, and sometimes the ability of governments to mobilize the necessary aid. There is a lot we can do to better prevent widespread blackouts, and technologies that when deployed can greatly increase the resiliency and flexibility of our grids. These same technologies can also facilitate affordable energy access for communities in every economic tier. In our next and final episode of this series, we're moving towards the future and the most important piece of this story, solutions. We'll be discussing everything from storm hardening to microgrid technology, so be sure to tune in. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Behind the Switch. <laughs>